All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to, him, to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and he, it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he'll bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven on earth. Furthermore, because we are united in Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who are the first to trust in Christ bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own, giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance that he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Good morning. I appreciate Pastor Sarah reading that. She read the whole sentence that we're looking at last week and this week together. And that is the sentence in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. The longest sentence in the New Testament, a powerful sentence. We began to explore it last week as we looked at verses 3 through 6. This week we're going to look at verses 7 through 14. If you want to open your Bibles to Ephesians 1 or open your mobile Bible app uh, on your iPhone or uh, your smartphone. Uh, we'll be there in Ephesians 1 in just a moment. I want to mention that uh, yesterday was uh, a day in which there was a recognition of the sanctity of life in our nation, and um, we understand from the Scriptures that God values life from conception to death, and that uh, we who know Christ need to value life like he values life. We have several partners that we partner with in the community who um, bring this focus and uh, help people understand the preciousness of life as God has given it. And one of those partners is uh, in Simi Valley, the community pregnancy clinic there in Simi Valley. And we've been supporting them for a couple of years. They have a new uh, director, Vanessa Moran. And uh, she's actually been on the job, uh, tomorrow will be two weeks, and so she's new, uh, but she's passionate. And what I love about the ministry there in Simi Valley with the Community Pregnancy Clinic is that it's focused not on the politics of this, but on the gospel, because the answer is found in helping these moms and these uh, couples that find themselves with an unexpected pregnancy to see things from the scriptures and to understand the good news of Jesus Christ. They're bringing that hope into the lives of those that they interact with. And so uh, Vanessa and others from uh, the community uh, pregnancy clinic in Simi Valley are available at our mission counter today after all of our services this weekend. They'll be there after the 11 o'clock service. Greet her, welcome her to uh, that ministry. And if you would like to be engaged and involved, you can connect with them. A number of folks here at Calvary serve on the board 
board there and a number of others are volunteers that help and work there. And so that's an opportunity for us uh, today as a church. Go by and just uh, greet her and uh, welcome her to that new role. Now, I have uh, found it fascinating over the years to look at guarantees that are written on product packages or you see a a service that someone offers and they make a guarantee, 100% satisfaction guarantee. Then if you push on that a little bit, you find maybe the guarantee isn't as solid as it as it was represented. But today we're talking about the grace guarantee, and it is the solid guarantee that comes from God himself. But I found it fascinating to look at some interesting guarantees over the years. I I came across this one that was just a, a, a gallon of milk, and right on the jug they had this dairy guarantee that said, it's simple, we're committed to your satisfaction, so our milk is unconditionally guaranteed until you drink it. Does anybody else see a flaw there? I really don't care how the milk is doing in the jug, in the refrigerator. I'm more interested in what it's like when I drink it, right? It seems like a weak guarantee. Then there was this other guarantee that was on the back of a repair service truck. It simply says, we guarantee fast service no matter how long it takes. Again, there's something not quite right with that guarantee. One of my favorites is from the uh, Fun Sweets Candy Company and uh, their little tub of cotton candy. And they give you this uh, Fun Sweets cotton candy guarantee on the tub. It has been scientifically proven that it is impossible for someone to eat Fun Sweets cotton candy without cracking a smile. In fact, we're so confident of this fact that we guarantee it. So they guarantee you a smile. But then there's this disclaimer right below that. The Fun Sweets smile guarantee applies to typically pleasant individuals. If you are a major grouch that doesn't smile at a puppy or a rainbow, then even we can't help you. <laughs> They're really honest about their guarantee, aren't they? God gives us a wonderful guarantee in this longest sentence of the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 1 verses three through 14. We explored last week, verses three through six, that emphasized how God, before the creation of the world, determined that he would save us. He would set a plan in motion to rescue us. God the Father was engaged in that plan. We'll see in verses seven through 14 that God the Son was engaged in the plan to provide our salvation. The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit was involved. We just sang a few moments ago, Uh, This we believe, and it talked about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then this passage, this beautiful passage about who we are in Christ and this sentence that Paul grabs our attention with to help us understand what it means to be God's child. We see the beauty of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God, three persons in one Godhead, how he is completely involved in saving and redeeming us. As we look at the grace guarantee that comes from God in Ephesians, specifically 7 through 14 today, the second half of that sentence, I want us to understand that grace ends our desperate striving for a relationship with God and releases us to flourish in life as we walk with him. Grace ends our desperate striving. You you look at uh, civilized cultures and primitive cultures and People are constantly trying to figure out how do we achieve a relationship with a God that is out there? How do we accomplish this? And so in our human wisdom, we think we've got to be good enough or we've got to outweigh our our good and our bad so that there's more good when we die and we stand before God that that will give us a relationship with him forever. And so there are people who are constantly striving to appease God, achieve a relationship with God. But when you understand the grace 
that is offered us in Jesus Christ, there is nothing we can do to achieve that relationship. We don't need to strive for that. We come to Christ as Savior, and instead of trying to achieve a relationship with him, we come to faith, and then we enjoy the freedom of that relationship because he gives us that connection to him, that relationship through the finished work of Jesus. Grace ends our desperate striving for a relationship with God, and it releases us to flourish, to live and love like Jesus, to make a difference in this world as we walk with him. You may hear in my voice a little bit of a scratchiness today. Uh, I've been tested many times. I do not have COVID, um, and I know there are some who do, and We've been praying for those folks, and maybe there's some who are at home right now because they're at high risk of COVID and with Omicron going around, but what you hear in my voice is not uh, a cold or, or anything. It's these winds have stirred up so much dust and other stuff that I seem to have some allergies, so it, it will sound worse as I go than it actually feels. I feel fine, and it just sounds a little raspy. I apologize for that. As we think about the grace of God, we talked last week how, about how it's God's goodness to us that we don't deserve. There's a simple acrostic of the word grace that reminds us of what God's grace is all about. God's riches at Christ's expense. The goodness of God that he offers to us comes at the expense of Christ's sacrifice on the cross for us. Max Lucado says, I've never been surprised by God's judgment, but I'm still stunned by his grace. I hope you are still stunned and amazed at the grace of God in rescuing, saving you, and this incredible plan that the Father planned before the foundation of the earth that was completed in his Son and that is sealed forever in the Spirit of God. We're gonna look at uh, this grace guarantee in two parts. I think there are two clear things that jump out in this passage about the guarantee God gives us in his grace. The first one has to do with the price of this guarantee, the price that was paid. Uh, frankly, it just is so clear in Scripture that we are bought with the blood of Jesus. This price was paid so that we were bought with the blood of Jesus. In Hebrews 9, we're told that there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood, life for life. In Hebrews 9, 12, we read, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 for the New Living Translation. You know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which will lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Jesus became the final lamb, the final sacrifice, the lamb of glory for you and for me. The price that was paid was bought with the blood of Jesus. There are two things that jump out in this passage about what Jesus bought with his blood. First, he bought our personal redemption. Our personal redemption. Let's look at verses seven and eight, the first part of eight at least. Verse seven, in him, now let's stop right there, that's in Christ. If you go back and find the antecedent, it's in Christ. And this term, in him, is gonna come up three times. The phrase in him or in Christ referencing Jesus comes up dozens of times in this book. As a matter of fact, the title of this teaching series in the book of Ephesians we simply titled In Christ. 
We're looking at this book that is in the New Testament called Ephesians. It's a first century letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, a major city in the Roman Empire. It would sit today in modern-day Turkey. And this ancient manuscript that's written to them, this letter communication to the believers at Ephesus, it, it, it is an ancient writing, but it has implications for the very questions we still ask today because in this book we get the answers that every human being asks in one way or another. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? And we see here in him that we who are in Christ find our identity in Jesus and it's important for us to understand who we are in Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Six times in the book of Ephesians, that phrase, uh, the riches of God's, and it'll say grace or love or mercy. The riches, the goodness, the kindness of God that he lavished on us. Personal redemption was paid for by the blood of Christ. The redemption that we experience in him. The word redemption here is a specific choice on the Apostle Paul's part under the direction of the Spirit of God. Could have used a number of words. This word has the idea of buying something for the purpose of setting it free. In the Roman world, about a third of all of its citizens were in servitude or slavery. Many of them, it was a financial debt they owed someone, but they could be sold and someone else could take on that burden of that person's debt. And, and so you might have someone that was in a a slave market being sold and someone else would walk by and if they had mercy on that person who owed that debt who, or who was enslaved for any reason, they would pay the price for that person, but they would pay the price not to make them their servant, but to set them free. And that's the word that's used here in Ephesians chapter one for redemption. Jesus paid the price for us to be forgiven of our sins and to be set free. Personal redemption involves two aspects. One, it removes, this redemption removes our sins without exception. We read in verse seven, the forgiveness of sins. And there's no asterisk there that says of the sins you committed 10 years ago or of the, the small sins, not the big sins. This is the, the sins of our lives, past, present, and future. There is no exception. Some of us walk around with the guilt of some act some word we said, something we did that hurt someone else, that caused havoc in our lives, that broke relationships, destroyed a marriage, ruined a business, embarrassed us or our families. There's some sin that we just think that's the one thing that we can't forgive ourselves of. And yet the scriptures say that Jesus' blood takes care of every sin. The vilest and worst sinners' sins were taken upon Jesus on the cross of Calvary. You have no exception to that. And when you receive Christ as your Savior, you are washed with the blood of Christ and you are forgiven of all of your sins. There is no exception. Sometimes we, we don't even want people to know about that sin. We don't even want to tell someone. We don't even want to speak about it because we're so embarrassed by it. And it, it was such a, a horrific thing and hurt so many people. I love how the 19th century preacher in London, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, says that he says, there may be some sins of which man cannot speak, but there is no sin which the blood of Christ cannot wash away. 
Jesus paid the price for our personal redemption, and that redemption removes our sins without exception. Secondly, it shows us kindness beyond expectation. Shows us kindness beyond expectation. The goodness of God, that we, it's hard for us to believe. As a matter of fact, if you've got your head completely wrapped around God's grace and goodness to you, and you got it all figured out, then you probably don't understand it. Because his grace should constantly stun and amaze us because it doesn't make human sense. It isn't logical. It's beyond belief. It's exceptional. It's beyond what anyone could expect. Verse 7 says, In accordance with the riches of God's grace, which he lavished on us. You know the word lavish means to go to the point of almost being wasteful but not wasteful. Do you recognize the goodness of God that has been lavished on you in Christ? Jesus paid the price not just to have your sins forgiven, but for you to be released and freed and to experience God's grace as you walk with him day by day. He didn't release you from your sin to burden you with something else. He showers you with his goodness and grace so you can experience peace and joy and meaning in life. He has lavished his grace on us. He shows us kindness beyond expectation. The Apostle John uses this same word for lavish in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 when he says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. He's lavished his love on us. That we should be called children of God and that is what we are. See, he just doesn't forgive us. He says, you are my child. That's why we sang a little earlier, who you say I am. And who does he say we are? His children, his sons and daughters. How incredible is that? Jesus paid the price for my redemption and yours. There's a picture in the Old Testament that points to what Jesus would accomplish for us on the cross. It's given in Leviticus chapter 16 as, as God gave to his people under Moses the law and he established the rituals around the tabernacle, later the temple. And they established the sacrifices, the priesthood and the religious rituals around that, one of the things that the Lord implemented was a particular day of the year called the Day of Atonement. We know it today. We hear it even celebrated by our Jewish friends as Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement. You see, in the tabernacle and then later in the temple, Leviticus 16 says that there is this holy of holies inside, separated by this thick veil. We talked about last week how when Jesus died, the veil was ripped, so we have access to the holy of holies. And the holy of holies inside the tabernacle was the place that represented the intimate express presence of God on earth. It was, it was the throne room of God on earth in the tabernacle or the temple in the Old Testament. And priests daily had to go through certain rituals and they could go into the holy place, but they couldn't go in behind that thick veil to the holy of holies. Only once a year did the high priest go behind that, and he had to be properly prepared or he would drop dead in the presence of God. Once a year, the Day of Atonement. And on that day, two goats would be brought to the high priest. They would both be perfect as far as the human eye could see. Nothing wrong with them at all. One would be called the Lord's goat. The other would be called the scapegoat. It's where we get our word scapegoat. The Lord's goat would be sacrificed on the altar and the blood would be taken by the high priest behind the veil that one day of the year sprinkled there on the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat. And, and that would represent, 
the forgiveness of the sins of the people for the last year. And it pointed to the one who would be the final sacrifice, Jesus, who would be the Lord's final lamb of glory, the final Lord's goat. And so the sins were forgiven, but there wasn't really a release. The guilt was there, the sins were forgiven, but the other goat, the scapegoat, would represent the freedom, the release the people had, that they had a fresh start and God was showing his kindness to them that their sins had been removed and they were released to walk with him. So after sacrificing the Lord's goat and taking the blood into the Holy of Holies, the priest would come out and put his hands on the scapegoat. Now, we know the term scapegoat in just a little bit and some of you will probably be checking in with it in about 14 minutes. The rams will be taking on the buccaneers. If the pattern of yesterday goes well, they should win as the away, game, away teams won yesterday. Maybe the away team will win today there uh, with the Buccaneers. We hope so, but we know that's a challenge. And if they lose or the Buccaneers lose, the, people will start looking for what the media will call a scapegoat. Was it the quarterback? Was it the coach? This week, I saw a headline about President Biden that his ratings are so low that inside the White House, there are murmurings that they're looking for a scapegoat, somebody to blame that they can push out of the administration. Maybe it's the chief of staff. Maybe it's this person. We think of a scapegoat. They're the ones that they, they, they represent all the wrong. And as they leave and they exit, it goes with them. Well, that's the scapegoat. The high priest would confess all the sins of the people, the various categories he'd heard through the year's worth of sacrifices and the people bringing their sin offerings. And then even that day, and he would spend time talking about the sins of the people and the evil and the wickedness with his hands on the scapegoat. And then he would release the goat and they would drive it out of the camp and it would go. And, it, and as it went away from the camp, their sins were taken away and they were released and freed from the burden of those things. They were forgiven by the Lord's goat, but they were freed. That's that two sides to this redemption pictured in the scapegoat and the Lord's goat. The same is true, all of that pointed to Jesus, the same is true of Jesus, that when we put our faith in Christ, his blood forgives us of our sin. We put our faith in Christ, our sins are on him, taken away, and we are released to enjoy his grace, to walk with him, to live in love like Jesus, to shine for him in this world. Maybe you've been striving and working and trying to prove yourself to God, Trying to be good enough or be charitable enough or be the right kind of parent or the right kind of citizen to establish a relationship with God, none of us can ever do that. We all fall short. But the wonderful good news of the grace guarantee is the price was paid in Jesus' blood so that we put our faith in Christ and what he did on the cross for us and his, his resurrection conquering the grave and sin and death and hell for us and his resurrection that we just sang about a few moments ago we are forgiven and released our personal redemption. There's a second aspect to what Jesus paid for in his own blood in terms of this grace guarantee. It's final restoration. It's final restoration. The scriptures tell us that when Adam and Eve were created, they enjoyed the garden, they walked with God, there was, there was something beautiful and precious. And when sin entered in, they were separated from God and there was a curse placed on all the earth. So the Romans 8 says it's all groaning. All of creation is groaning. That's why we have crime and disease and viruses like COVID and mosquitoes and pain and sorrow. It's, it's, it's part of the curse. 
But Romans 8 says that even creation knows it's not always going to be this way. God is going to restore everything to the way it was meant to be. One day when Jesus returns and he establishes a new heavens and a new earth and he reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords forever. Then he will make all things new. And Revelation 21 says, when that happens, there'll be no more tears because there'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, no more disease. And so there is this promise of a final restoration that is coming. And Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection secured the possibility, not just for my personal redemption or your personal redemption, but ultimately for the final restoration of all things as Jesus will make all things new in and of himself. This final restoration is described here in verses eight through 12. But I want you to recognize that we're all, even if we're redeemed, we're all still suffering under the weight of the curse. The groaning is still happening. Just this last Wednesday, I got up and I knew I had to be at a meeting here at Calvary. And um, um, I knew we also had some workers coming to do some work at the house and Leslie was already out of the house. And so I was rushing to get my shower done and everything. And I got out of the shower and I put gel in my hair and I got it all, you know, there. And I went to get my brush. I dropped it and I bent over and I hit my head and cut my head open and blood was dripping down on the counter. And I hear the dogs barking and I know there's somebody out there and they're waiting for me. So I rush around, get ready, get out. I got to take my stuff with me because as I kind of welcome the workers, I need to get off to the meeting here at, at church. And so I, I rush around, get out there, greet them, get in the car. I'm, I'm, I put a Band-Aid on, I'm driving down the 23 and, and I just decide to look in the rearview mirror and I see myself. And I realize, yeah, I've got the Band-Aid I put on just by going like that. But I realized that I put the gel in my hair and it's everywhere and I hadn't ever combed it. So I have a little comb in my car and I, there's no way I'm gonna go through this gel. And so I took a picture of myself and I, I look pretty marred up here because I've got the Band-Aid. I'm going into this meeting with, a, with pastors and ministry directors on our team. I go in and I thought I'm gonna have a little fun with them on this because what else am I gonna do? My hair is sticking straight up. I laughed so hard in the car on the 23, and um, I got into the meeting, and I said, what do you think of my new haircut? And Doug, Doug Lehman on our team says, new barber. <laughs> you need a new barber. But that's kind of how my morning started. Then just a couple hours after I took that photo, and how that day had just been a part of the groaning of life, right? I'm eating some pretzels, and all of a sudden, I find one of my teeth is in my mouth, and I'd a crown had fallen off and I'd cr broken the base of the tooth and it was there left. And so I had to have kind of a, an emergency root canal the next day. And, and that's not good. I mean, that's just not good at all. You know, there, there are people this week who suffered much more than that. Some of you had a loss of a loved one. Some of you know someone who had got COVID or maybe you had COVID or some other diagnosis or a financial problem and all of that, even those things that I'm talking about, but the bigger things of life, all of those things are part of the groaning. And one day it won't be that way. Final restoration is coming. Look at verse eight. And he begins in the second half, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will. And whenever you see mystery in the scriptures, it's talking about something that was hidden before, but is now revealed. And mystery comes up several times in this book, and it's talking about they knew a Messiah was coming, but they didn't understand all. And now it has been revealed who he is and 
how he came and how he's coming again and how we can walk with him. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed, notice, in Christ. There it is again, in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. So when that time comes, when the end of human history as we know it comes, and Jesus returns to establish his eternal heaven, his eternal throne room and, and reign here on earth, when that, we reach that time of fulfillment, it says, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. There is a time coming when Jesus will reign as King of kings and Lord of lords, and that is a part of what we didn't understand completely before, but now has been revealed. Verse 11, in him, in Christ, we are also chosen, having been predestined. Now, those are some strong words, chosen and predestined. Last week, I spent some time on talking about this idea of human responsibility and divine sovereignty. Whosoever will, yet were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And I'd encourage you to go back, and if you missed last week's message, go back, go to calvarywestlake.org and look at the sermon from last week as we go into that. But in him, we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God is working his plan. God is working his plan. Even when it doesn't make sense to you, he is working it out in order that we... Now, as you heard, I asked Sarah to read from the New Living Translation. Last week, we had Aaron read from the New International Version, but in the New Living Translation, it says, in order that we Jews, because this is Paul speaking, how the, the Jews were the first to put our hope in Christ. Then he says, might be for the praise of his glory. And then he's gonna say in verse 13, and you, and he's gonna go on and talk about the church at Ephesus, which was primarily Gentile, and how they have now come to Christ and put their hope in Christ. But he says, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. You see, ultimately, in the final restoration, we become the trophies of his grace for all eternity. We demonstrate for all eternity the reality of who Christ is and what he's accomplished for us. We shine when all of creation is restored. And it says, for the praise of his glory. It's interesting. Three through six emphasizes God the Father's part in our redemption. And it ends to the praise of his glorious grace. In verses seven through 12, there is an emphasis on God the Son's part in our salvation. It ends with, for the praise of his glory. Verses 13 and 14 emphasize God the Holy Spirit's part in our redemption. And it ends to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory is used more than half a dozen times in this book. And Paul's way of saying it, it's kind of like this giant exclamation point. And so if you have a hard copy of the Bible in front of you and you have a pencil or a pen, just put an exclamation point there in your Bible. That's, it's his trying to draw attention to, to the praise of his glory. This is incredible. This is amazing. This is his stunning grace. If you've got a Bible app and you can highlight that phrase, highlight it. Final restoration. You see, God will complete his plan under Christ. It isn't always gonna be this way. The groaning won't last forever. God will complete his plan under Christ. We read in Colossians 1, 19 and 20, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by, being, by making peace, here it is, through his blood shed on the cross. Not only our personal redemption was paid for 
through the blood of Christ, but final restoration was paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ. God will complete his plan under Christ. God will complete his plan with us so that we will be for the praise of his glory. We who hoped in him, we are a part of his plan and we get to sing his praises and be a testimony of his grace for all eternity. The price that was paid was pretty high. The blood of God the Son himself. In that price, he secured our personal redemption and final restoration. That's the grace guarantee, guaranteed in the blood of Jesus. Secondly, not only is there the price that's a part of the grace guarantee, but there's also the promise the promise. We're secured by the presence of the Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ, you who are Gentiles, when you heard the message of truth. Maybe you heard the message when you were a child like me. I heard it from my mother and I responded to the gospel and put my faith in Jesus and experienced salvation. Maybe for some of you it was a friend. Maybe some of you it took you several times because it just didn't make sense. Maybe it happened just a week ago, maybe two months ago. I met someone last night who had just received Christ just before Christmas. There's a time in which you heard the message of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation, your rescue. When you believed, at the moment you believed, something happened besides your forgiveness and besides being given a home forever in heaven and you'll be a trophy of his grace and that final restoration forever, something else happened when you believed. You were marked, notice in him again, in Christ. You were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, until the final redemption. That, that is the time that we're not only freed from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but the very presence of sin in our ultimate redemption when we're with Jesus to the praise of his glory. You know, we talk about an agreement we will say it's signed, sealed, and delivered, right? Well, I see that signed, sealed, and delivered agreement God established in his grace for us here in verses 13 and 14. First, look at the signed part of it. He says, um, we put our hope, when we put our hope, and you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. We heard the message of truth. The agreement was put before us. It was a free gift from God and we had the choice to respond and sign in faith or not. We heard the message of truth and it was actually signed when we believed the gospel of hope. We put our faith in Jesus. It's not our faith that saves us, it's the grace of God. But as we express our faith, in Jesus, who died, was buried, and was raised for us. In that moment, as we express our faith, God's grace, his goodness we don't deserve, washes us of our sins and frees us from the burden of our past and of our shortcomings and releases us to live for him. Signed, we heard the message of truth, we believe the gospel of hope. But also there's a sealed part of this, a sealed part of this. It's really clear in that last part of verse 13. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now, this concept of a seal is the idea of something being sealed officially, 
And if it's tampered with, then it is no longer authoritative or official. As a matter of fact, the same word used for seal in Ephesians 1 about being sealed with the Holy Spirit is what's used in Matthew 27 when the stone is rolled in front of the tomb of Jesus and it is sealed. Now, in terms of a seal in communication in the ancient world, where you're, whether you're dealing with papyrus or you're dealing with vellum or you're dealing with paper, oftentimes the best way to send a communication, like from one king to another king or to a governor, something official of a communication, would be put in a scroll form. So they'd put their message, rolled it up in a scroll, and where the paper met the paper, the king would take a glob of wax and drop it there. Then he had a ring that had his official emblem that only he had, the signet ring of the king. And with that wax was still hot and pliable, he would press his ring into that seal. And as he pressed his ring into the seal, then he let the wax dry, and now that document is sealed. From the moment he seals it, that seal is the guarantee when it gets to the other end and the recipient receives it. If the seal is still there unbroken, this is official, this hasn't been tampered with, this is from the king. If it was broken or tampered with, then it wasn't official, it wasn't from the king, you can't be sure of its contents. The moment I put my faith in Jesus, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, King Jesus put a seal on us that he promised his disciples in the upper room the night before his crucifixion, he would send the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, and he is the seal on this grace guarantee from God, and as long as we have the Holy Spirit, which according to this is until we're with Jesus, he is the guarantee. What better guarantee could you have? You say, well, I'd love to have one of the nails from the cross or a little, a little you know, piece of the, the cross or a little this or a little that. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Romans 8, 9 says, if someone says they are one of his followers, they have fellowship with him, but they say they don't have the Holy Spirit, they're not one of his. Why? Because of what Ephesians 1 says. The moment I believed and received Christ as a Savior when I was a kid, the Holy Spirit came in me. We receive all of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, then what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? We'll see that in Ephesians 5. Well, the issue isn't about how much of the Holy Spirit we have. It's about how much of us the Holy Spirit has. But every human being who has put their faith in Jesus as Savior, who has had their sins forgiven because of the blood of Christ, has been given the Holy Spirit. He is with you wherever you go. He's there to help you as you open the Scriptures. Before we know Christ, sometimes the Bible just doesn't even make any sense. But the Holy Spirit in us, once we know Jesus, helps us understand it. And he'll show us something in a passage today and two years later we can read the same passage and it hits us differently because the Holy Spirit is enlightening, illuminating the scriptures for us. He's the one in there convicting us when we're sinning and pointing us in correction. He's the one convincing us inside when we're doing what is right. He's the one who comforts us. He's the one who is molding and shaping us in our attitudes and our thoughts. As we walk in God's word, we walk with God's people, we walk in prayer, the Holy Spirit takes that and molds us and shapes us and makes us like Jesus. From the moment you receive Jesus as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And he is the guarantee. He is the seal that when you step into God's presence, you are God's. He is the seal. 
You see, my relationship with God is settled in Christ, settled in Christ because of his blood, but my relationship with God is secured by the Spirit. Secured by the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 5 says, God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. There is no better guarantee than the very presence of God in us. When you go to work this week, when you're driving, when you're at the store, when you're with your kids, if you know Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit is in you, and he will be with you until you are with him. Signed, sealed, and then delivered. Look at verse 14. Who is a deposit? The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, the praise of his glory, until our final redemption and the final restoration when we're even removed from the presence of sin and the curse forever with him. You see, the first installment is he is present in me. As I believed, according to verse 13, the Holy Spirit comes into me to empower me to serve all the things we've talked about, He is present in me. That's the first installment. The final installment is when I am present with him. The Holy Spirit is with me until I am with Jesus. What a guarantee. Signed, sealed, and delivered. You will never find a guarantee greater than the grace guarantee. And that grace guarantee ends our desperate striving for a relationship with God and releases us to flourish, to thrive, in life as we walk with him because we have the spirit of God within us, guiding us, shaping us, molding us. The guarantee comes with a price. It was the blood of Christ. The guarantee comes with the promise. We're secured by the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean for us? Let me ask you two questions. The first one is this. Are you still striving to get a relationship with God? You're still striving to get a relationship with God? None of us can establish a relationship with God in our own efforts. Jesus did it all. I know it defies common wisdom. Most religions and even some parts of Christianity says you got to go through these church rituals. You got to live this way. You can't commit these sins or this or that. We we think we got to do something big. As of yesterday, Warren Buffett was worth $112 billion. $112 billion yesterday. In 2006, when he was only worth $44 billion, he made this great announcement. Now, I don't know Warren Buffett. I think he's probably a very nice guy. I love some of the things I read about his humility and stuff. And so this is not a slam on Warren Buffett in any way. But he made this great announcement. He said, I'm going to give away 85% of my $44 billion of wealth. This is in 2006. He makes this statement. I'm going to give away 85% of it. In my lifetime, and even if I die and I haven't given away 85% of it, my estate will finish that out and give away the rest of what I haven't given away of that 85%. He made this great statement, which is wonderful, right? But then he said this, of course, there is more than one way to get to heaven, but this is a great way. Jesus said there's one way. Sean didn't say there's one way. Christianity doesn't say there's one way. Jesus says there's one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He paid the price. The Spirit seals us. That's the grace guarantee. 
Maybe you've been striving. Just right where you are, pray and receive Christ as your Savior. Just tell him, I'm not going to try on my own anymore. I'm going to believe in what Jesus did for me. I turn from my sin and my self-righteousness. I turn to Jesus, who was crucified, buried, and raised for me. God will forgive you, who lavishes grace upon you. He'll release you from the burden of your guilt and shame and free you to thrive and flourish in him. If I can be of help to you, I'll be on the patio after the service. Our care team will be down front after the service. You can pray with them about any need, but you can speak to them about that. If you're joining us online, maybe even in the room, and you just want to take out your phone right now and just text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen, our team will follow up with you. We'll send you some resources so you can know what it means that you've gone through the way, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. Don't keep striving to get a relationship with God. Trust Jesus. It's the only way. Are you still striving to get a relationship with God? Maybe you say, no, I've rested my faith in Jesus. Are you flourishing as you walk with him? Are you flourishing as you walk with him? Do you recognize the spirit of God is in you? That you've been freed to live in love like Jesus? And the world needs to see the hope and love in Christ, of Christ in and through us? So the beautiful thing is he's going to walk with us as he's released us. In the conclusion of Jude, we read in Jude 24 and 25 this, this benediction. Now unto him, God, who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. We rest in our God and the grace guarantee and trust that he will keep us. Until that day we are with him. Are you flourishing as you walk with him? He's released you so you can shine, so you can thrive, so you can flourish. That's the grace guarantee. I hope the grace guarantee still stuns and amazes you. Can I encourage you this week, every day, just to thank God for the price that was paid and thank God for the promise that was given. Just every day in your prayers, just Thank God for the price that was paid and thank God for the promise that was given in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we step back in awe and wonder at your amazing love that you've lavished on us, the grace you've lavished on us. Thank you for the freedom that is ours in Christ. And Father, I pray right now for people who are just grappling with what they've heard and they're just stunned by the fact they could do nothing to earn their salvation or relationship with you. It comes through Jesus. I pray that your spirit would help them see the clarity of this. Speak to them now. Draw them to yourself. And Father, I pray for those of us who know you. May our reminder of this grace guarantee liberate us to live our lives completely committed to you, to shine for you because of the love and grace you've lavished on us in Christ because you have sealed us in the spirit. And may your spirit speak to us as we go to work, as we're at school, as we're in a store, wherever we are this week, may your spirit work in us to mold us and shape us and make us like Jesus. Thank you for your goodness to us that we don't deserve. May it radically change how we view ourselves, how we, we see our part in this world. May it free us to glorify you in everything we do and say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.